<coughs> so if you have your Bibles, perhaps you can turn again to Matthew's Gospel, and this time Matthew chapter 20. So our focus is going to be this parable, often known as the parable of the workers in the vineyard. But I want to read beyond that as well to set it in its context. So let's again hear God's word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning... He went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favour of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. This is God's word. So this is our last uh, parable uh, from uh, Matthew's gospel, uh, these stories with purpose that Jesus tells. Uh, This one, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Perhaps the question that we can ask ourselves is, how does Jesus turn our natural value system upside down? Uh, Because this is one of those parables where I think our instinct is to sympathize 
with those grumblers. It offends our sense of justice. It's very easy to read this parable and say, that's not fair. If you imagine in in our own workplace setting, if uh, the, the new guy who's straight in the door is promoted to the same pay and benefits as someone uh, with years of experience, we would find ourselves probably saying that doesn't seem fair. So, so instinctively we get those first workers. And I think, in a sense, that's the point. This parable is meant to shock us. Here's our normal value system. Here's the values in the kingdom of heaven, and they're so very, very different. The world applies rank and status in so many different ways. So next weekend, Scotland will be on their journey, we hope, towards the World Cup. When we get there, if we get there, we will be in not pot one, two, or three. We will be in lowly pot four. We apply rank. Status matters. We know this. The words of a colleague doesn't always hold the same weight as the words of our boss. We instinctively have that understanding that time served brings a measure of entitlement. That's something that can even creep into our churches. But Jesus' story says it's not like that in his kingdom. He invites us to reject what Kierkegaard called the sin of comparison. It leads to either pride or envy. To respond gladly Uh, to when uh, someone else has success and has shown kindness, it's an invitation indeed for us to reflect the mercy and goodness of God. So let's dive into our text. We've got four things to look at together. Uh, The first, uh, we can say timing is everything in this parable. So, So all the way along, when we'll be looking at the parables, we said one way to understand what's going on is to look for the surprising parts. And the two big surprises in this parable both have to do with timing. Uh, first, uh, to do with the hiring process and then the payment process. Uh, so just to go back uh, to the first couple of verses, we have a very familiar scene from Jesus' day. We have a landowner going out early in the morning to the marketplace to hire day laborers for his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius, normal day's wage. Everything is as we would expect. But then, surprise begins to emerge. This owner makes multiple return visits. And so we have two choices. So either uh, we can think, well, this is a very disorganized landowner. This is someone who's failing to plan well. Or, if we understand as Jesus teaches us, this is about the kingdom of heaven, this landowner represents a surprisingly generous and compassionate landowner who keeps going out in order to meet the needs of others. So in verse 4, after uh, three hours of the working day have already begun, he meets some others standing in the marketplace doing nothing, and he says, you go and work, and I'll pay you whatever is right. And they trust him. Uh, And that goes all the way until five in the afternoon. So 11 hours of the working day have already been done, but these guys are still here. He asks the question, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us. And so he responds by inviting them too to go and work in his vineyard. These 11th hour workers, you imagine, standing desperately hoping against hope by this stage in the day that someone will take pity on them. 
the sense of despair as they congregated, as other people got hired. It makes me think of, I read an article a number of years ago about the, the Japanese salaryman, you know, very famous Japanese businessmen. Well, um, they did an article uh, where, it, where it turns out there's a lot of these salarymen who have lost their jobs, but they're too ashamed to admit that to their family. They have no prospects of finding future employment because of their age. So what they, they had been doing is they've been dressing up for work, getting on the tube, and then sitting in the park all day. A, a, a hopeless situation. It makes me think of these, these 5 p.m. workers. You know, if the, if the landowner doesn't come, there's no bread on the table. There's no dignity for them and work to do. And so this mercy from the owner is good news. So that's one surprise. The surprise of the hirings. The second surprise is to do with the payment process. So we get to six o'clock. We get to clocking off time. Verse eight. And the owner calls the foreman. Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So there's a bit that's normal. You get to the end of the day, Old Testament law says you must pay a day laborer at the end of their day's work. So they will have bread to feed their family. The usual order, of course, first one in would be the first one paid. But our owner reverses that timing. Now, why does he do that? He does it to draw attention to his mercy, his compassion, and his generosity. If he paid everyone an order, everybody else wouldn't get to see this is a generous, merciful owner. And that's what he wants people to know. Uh, But what happens, and we see this, is that the payment process produces tension. How will the other workers feel about this? How will they feel about uh, this guy who's worked for less than an hour getting a full day's wage? And what we see is grumbling. What we see is jealousy. But that's set against... The delight of our owner it gives him joy. It's what he wants to do, to show mercy and kindness. And he wants these other workers to see and to share in that joy. I think there's a couple of lessons that we can draw as we think about uh, the timings in the parable. The first lesson, and we find it all through the Bible, is that salvation is a free gift of God's grace. We do not contribute to it. We do not earn it. One of the ways people go wrong when approaching Christian faith is to approach it like work. Well, if I do enough religion and if I do enough good living, surely that's what I need to earn eternal life. And the Bible says, says, no, it's not about earning. Rather, we need to see ourselves in the story as these 11th hour workers. We're standing hopeless and helpless. Because of our our sin, we stand under the just judgment of God. There's nothing that we can do to change that status. What we need is the, the free grace of God. We need God to send his son, and that's what he has done. So salvation is a free gift. And, and, and the second lesson that we can draw from, from this parable, I think, is that God's mercy is right on time mercy. God's mercy comes in a way that brings him glory and brings us joy. Paul spoke about that in Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. When the set time had fully come, God's set time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. The Son of God entered history, took our humanity, went under the law at God's right time to redeem us and adopt us as an expression of his great mercy. So this parable stands again as a reminder to us that the mercy of God is open to us all. We hear that the words of of the gospel today is the day of salvation. The time is right for any of us and all of us to enjoy God's grace in Jesus if we will hear that invitation and respond in faith. So timing is everything. The the second uh, theme that we see in our parable uh, and in the wider section is that of first and last. The idea that Jesus reverses our values. And we can think in some ways of of the parable being the meat in the sandwich. Um, And what's on either side of this parable, chapter 19, verse 30, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Verse 16 of chapter 20, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. Jesus is driving home the point through all of his ministry, and here uh, we see it again, God's kingdom is not like the world. It's not about competing and comparing and striving to get ahead. Wealth, status, time served, achievement, beauty, power, those are not what counts in God's kingdom. And Jesus is inviting us to recognize that we can expect surprises in his kingdom. There will be these reversals that are unexpected. Now, how does Jesus show it in our parable? Well, we saw it, didn't we, in verse 8. Even the words of the story that Jesus tells Uh, The payment policy, begin with the last ones hired, going on to the first. So the last or first. These last workers are deliberately honored, publicly honored. They don't receive performance-related pay. And that's good news. That's grace. That's goodness and generosity. That's unexpected. There was no discussion, am I going to get a denarius? Nobody would be hoping at that stage to get a full day's wage, but they do. So the payment policy shows reversal. But you know, we can also see it, can't we, in the character of the owner. So think about how this man is presented. He's he's obviously a, a landowner with significant wealth and resources. He's able to hire many people. He has standing in society. But where's his heart? His heart is for these poor guys that nobody else is going to hire. He is for the down and out. Jesus comes as good news to the poor. This parable presents hope for the hopeless. For those who have been pushed aside and marginalized, Jesus says that's not how our kingdom works. Think about the words that, that, the, that Jesus uses for the landowner as well in response to the grumbling. Look at verse 14, where he talks about what he wants. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as you. And he talks about his rights. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money and to be generous with it? 
That's where his heart is. Mercy, generosity, grace. Reversal of values in the kingdom of heaven. But we see that same idea in the wider section. That's why we read in chapter 19 and chapter 20. Where do we see those reversals? We see it with the, the little children. Remember the disciples? Don't bother bringing the children to Jesus. He's far too busy and important. Children were regarded as nobodies in society, and the disciples had picked up on that. And Jesus, what does he do? He welcomes and blesses. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Those who will depend, those who will trust. Straight after that, we meet the rich man. And again, the disciples, they're presuming, well, if God has blessed anyone, he's certainly blessed this guy. Wealth is a sign of blessing, so they thought. But the way Matthew writes this story, we're almost invited to imagine this man with his hands full of money. He's coming to Jesus, looking for life, but he will not let go of that money so he can welcome Jesus. Everybody thought he was inside, but he's outside the kingdom of heaven. Immediately after our parable, we find Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the place where you would expect... God's king to be honoured. But there is reversal there too, because Jesus knows he's going to Jerusalem to suffer, to die. And then we meet a mum and two sons, these two disciples. And the mum has the request that these two disciples get the seats of honour in the kingdom. And Jesus talks about how different life is in the kingdom. That true greatness isn't about power, it's about service. And of course the cross is the ultimate demonstration of that. So again, just to think about this theme of first and last, one vital lesson for us to learn is that we should never, we can never limit God's grace by applying a human ranking system. And if we examine our hearts, and if we're honest, we probably recognize there are times when we do that. God is not just for church types, whatever a church type is. There's also that constant reminder in in the Gospels, let's not give up on our prodigals. Let's not imagine just because someone has wandered that they are lost and we are done with them. I was so encouraged this week uh, to hear the story of, of, of a friend of mine. I hadn't heard the story of how he came to faith uh, in detail, so I had the chance to, to talk to him. And, and he talked about a life of being a, a former drug dealer, um, a life really just totally messed up. And he had a really low point and recognized, you know what I need to do? I need to read my Bible. Um, and as he read his Bible, he said, you know what I need to do? I need to go back home. I need to speak to my, my parents. And those parents had been praying for him and those parents shared the gospel with him and he came to faith and his life was transformed and he's serving God. He was a prodigal. We don't limit God's grace. We don't apply rank and status and think, well, God likes those kind of people and not those kind of people. The second lesson to draw is that in God's kingdom, the way up is always down. 
the church does not and should not look like our workplace. It shouldn't look like our sports club. The way to greatness in Jesus' eyes is through humble service. Like John the Baptist, who was wise enough to say, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. Moving on, a third thing for us to think about is response of these first workers. Let's think about grace and grumbling. In verse 15, uh, we find uh, the last phrase from the landowner. Are you envious because I am generous? Uh, Literally, we could read that. Do you have a bad eye or do you have an evil eye? In other words, there is something wrong with your vision. You know, if I take off my glass, well, instantly everybody becomes a blur. There is something wrong with my vision. I'm going to deal with that. Um, what is Jesus talking about here? What's wrong with their vision in this story? The problem is they do not see mercy as beautiful. Rather, they see it as ugly. They don't see mercy as being more precious than them getting more money. So we see it in verse verse 11. As soon as they realize that those guys that worked for about an hour got a whole day's wage, they're rubbing their hands thinking, wow, we're going to get a great bonus. And they get the same, and so they begin grumbling. Verse 12, those who were hired last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us. We worked harder. We were more productive. Our conditions were far tougher. How dare you make them equal to us? As the owners say, I'm not being unfair. He reminds them that he's kept to his terms, but he also wants them to focus on his mercy. You are being envious to the fact that he is being generous and to supply the needs of others. That should not be. There should not be pride and envy and anger and frustration because of this man's goodness. Think about it. Surely they should be glad. Wouldn't we in our hearts want to be glad? Here is more families that are going to be fed today. Here is a group of workers who have had dignity today. But instead there's envy and there's grumbling. Again, I wonder, if we're honest, is this something that at times at least we struggle with? How do we deal with the happier circumstances of others? What's our heart reaction to the success of others? How do we handle the thriving churches of others? When we should be singing, sometimes we sigh. When there should be gratitude, sometimes our hearts grumble. If you know the story of the Grinch, sometimes our heart grows three sizes too small. And we're not able to celebrate the grace of God. What's happening there? Our eye is bad. 
when we fail to celebrate God's grace. Our eye is bad when we fail to treasure God's mercy wherever we see it. Whether that's to our neighbour, whether that's to the family down the road, the church down the road, whether we hear of what God is doing in other nations, that should always make us glad. And so one of the key lessons that the disciples needed to learn and we need to learn is to ask for grace, to celebrate grace, to deal with that instinct in our heart that says, I wish that was me. That says, do you know what, that's just not fair. Whether we see that in our our, our life, in our church, in the circumstances of others, ask for grace to celebrate grace. Now, you and I know we all have different pressure points for that. So I was at General Assembly this week for Christian ministers, one of those pressure points, like, how do we handle it when we hear of growing churches? How do we hear of it when there are dramatic conversations happening in other places, dramatic conversions? Can I be glad at what God is doing? Where are the pressure points for you? Can we be glad to hear of someone's engagement and their marriage when we are single and we'd love to be married? Can we be glad when someone has a new child and we find ourselves longing for one? Can we be glad when someone has a new job and they're enjoying it and we're stuck in a terrible one? Can we celebrate with others the goodness of God in their life? One of the wonderful things about Christian joy is that Christian joy isn't just tied to what's happening to me and my circumstances. Christian joy is so much bigger than that. It's rooted to what's God's good work in his world. Where is he saving people? Where is he maturing faith in people? Where is he causing people to serve with joy? When we see how big God's grace is, That's when our heart begins to expand. So the lesson from these grumblers is we need to learn to walk in the shoes of others, don't we? And we certainly need to celebrate God's grace at work. Last thing to say briefly is to think about what we can call the 11th hour gospel. So I think one of the things that that Jesus uh, would cause by this parable is a, is a tension in our hearts and a question, how, how do we change so that we can celebrate grace? Where do we get the power to change, to, to see the world differently? How can we choose these different values of the kingdom of heaven? The beginning of that answer, at least, is here in this parable. You know, with any story that Jesus tells. We're always invited to think, who do I identify with in this story? Where do I find myself in this parable? Jesus, in the first instance, says to the disciples and says to us, watch out, because we can so easily be like those first workers who grumble. But he would also have us all to see that in a very real sense, we are all those 11th hour workers. 5 p.m., day's almost done, standing without hope. We cannot fix it. Our great need is not justice. 
our need is God's goodness and grace, that he would show us his mercy and his kindness. And that's what we see in the sending of the Lord Jesus. If anybody is first, it's Jesus, first in glory, eternal Son of God, King of kings. But what does Jesus say to his disciples? He is ready and willing to become last, to be rejected, to suffer, to be crucified, to die. He is ready to serve us, to show us generous grace, to forgive our sin, to give us a new heart, to give us the hope of eternal life. The greatest man who ever lived, the God-man, chose to serve sinners like us. As Jesus said in verse 28, Just as the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as we remember that, as we remember Jesus the first being ready to become last for us, as we remember all that he gives to us by his grace, that's where we find the power for our grumbling to become gratitude. That's how we'll find we're willing to give up the chase to be first and instead to be like Christ, to be ready to serve others. Let's leave it there and let's pray together. Lord, our God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Even as he told that parable, he was also telling of his suffering and his death. And he was telling us that he came to be a servant, to set us free from sin by taking sin on himself and paying the price in full so we could be forgiven and have new life. Lord, help us to see that in the kingdom of heaven, it's about grace all the way down. Help us to to be on the lookout and to celebrate every evidence of your goodness and mercy, whether that's in our own life or in the life of others. Give us that capacity to rejoice with those who rejoice. Lord, we guard our hearts. And will you apply the truth of your word to our hearts? And that you'd be changing us in line with its truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to finish with what I guess to the world is is an old hymn, but for us it was something of a new hymn, Grace Greater Than All My Sin. Uh, We sang it last Sunday evening. We're going to sing it again. Uh, Kellen's going to sing through the verse and the chorus for us. Then we'll go back to the beginning. Uh, Join in, obviously, uh, whenever you know it. But let's stand and let's sing these wonderful words.